It seems like as humans we are obsessed with defining ourselves. Identities have quickly become labels and vice versa. But the way I see it, human beings are much more complex, ever evolving and at times contradictory. My name is Sadia Khan. I'm fascinated by our relationship to our identities and different stories we are creating around them. I explore all of these dynamics on my podcast Immigrantly. We drop new episodes every Tuesday. We are available wherever you get your podcasts. Who's this Capaldi fella? Lewis Capaldi. The fuck's that idiot? He is. I'm going to stand up for him. He's funny as fuck. It's because he's Scottish. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you fucking Scottish are uh, these fuck these fuckers. <laughs> if they found out Hitler was fucking Scottish, they'd go. Ah, the wee man was just a wee bit misunderstood. <laughs> so he was. Eh? Correct. And don't you forget it. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Blethered. I'm Sean McDonald and my guest is Gordon Smart. This is part one and part two will be recorded very soon in Scotland because as you know, everybody knows and Noel Gallagher definitely knows, Scotland is where all the best part takes place. I want to say a massive thank you to Soho Radio in London where this episode was recorded. If you're looking for anywhere to record in London, can I recommend them highly enough? Gordon's a Scottish broadcaster and a former journalist and he's led a very interesting personal and professional life, a lot of which we talk about. You're known for various TV and radio roles, the most current and most notable will be Radio X, where he's a regular host throughout the week and at the weekend. Gordon talks about his upbringing, down periods in early adult life, starting off in journalism, how a fortuitous encounter at the MTV Europe Music Awards in Edinburgh in 2002 led to him being offered a position working on Bizarre, which was the then hugely popular and massively influential showbiz column of the Sun newspaper. Now, I encourage you to immediately suspend any preconceived notions you might have of anybody associated with the Sun. Keep your mind open, because you'll soon realise it's massively inaccurate in this instance. We talk about the reason for supporting young Scottish talent. We dis- dissect the illusion of social media. This conversation is particularly important for the younger generation, but for everybody, reality's been skewed and it's resulting in some fucking horror stories. We're talking suicides, so it's important we talk about it. Now think about it, we've all scrolled down Instagram and felt this visceral unease, this inferiority as a result of comparing your average Tuesday to somebody's highlight reel for their entire year. Like, they're in Ibiza, and you're at work, and you're fat and shattered because you watch Netflix till two in the morning. It's easy to get caught up in that, and I'm making a joke about it, but it's a real thing. We look back on a night out in London that we had just hours prior to this recording, including me getting a very well-known TV presenter in a headlock. For a laugh, that's how I can justify that. I was actually drunk for the entirety of this recording, so first of all I kindly ask that you attribute any exuberance or wayward, wayward comments from me to the fact that I was half canned the whole time. And please also take into consideration that it's not a lack of professionalism, it's just that I'm a Glaswegian and I was let loose in London on the weekend, so what do you expect? 
You'll hear some funny stories for Gordon's time living in London, including his good pal Martin Compton have a three-day party in his house while he was away that resulted in the neighbours complaining about somebody singing very loudly, but they did comment that this person sang very, very well. You'll find out who it was, don't worry. I don't want to turn this into a personal tribute because he will most definitely slaughter me for it, but you're going to listen to a first-class guy for me, the embodiment of just genuine human decency, it shines at him. A top guy who goes well out his way for people and for me, entirely out of his own volition. Now that's priceless, everything else is a bonus. As always, this conversation will continue over on Flick Chat. If you don't know what it is, I've not shut up about it. It's the free app where listeners of this podcast are able to chat and interact with me and with each other. I'm boring, but the people in it are really interesting, I promise. They're talking about some of the issues covered, basically, in episodes of Blethered previously, from mental health issues, uh, the subject of gambling, lighter funny things like funny chat, audible recommendations, and more. If you want to get involved, then the link to join is on my Twitter, or just send me a message and I'll send it over. As always, if you're a fan of Blethered or if you're a fan of this episode, feel free to pass it on or to share it to somebody because it really helps me. Cheers. Hello and welcome to a very hungover episode of Blethered. I'm joined by the man that I've just been raving about and singing his praises. I love him to bits, Gordon Smart. <laughs> I think you've just put on your uh, podcast voice there, Shawnee Boy. I know, I know. I might take my headphones off, actually. Here we go. I am genuinely severely burst. <laughs> How do what you performance, Sean? What a night. Should we just address it? Should we talk we about to. the last 24 hours? So I came down, I, I flew to Glasgow, London. I had, I'd had about two or three hours sleep. I had a croissant and a coffee. A song uh, and a coffee in the Glasgow Airport. Flew to London, and Gordon got me at Paddington Station, and we went straight to meet our mate Ben at My Manor Gym in in London. It's absolutely incredible, and we got a PT session. I spewed within <laughs> six seven minutes. <laughs> yeah. I thought like this the young team, right? Because I've been looking closely at what you've been up to, Sean, and uh, I saw lots of pictures of you with the taps off on the rooftops in Barcelona. <laughs> And I thought, I'm not going to mess up what I normally do when he comes down. <clears throat> so well, let's go to the gym. And you came in and I thought, oh no, how fit is he? Like straight on the treadmill, 400 miles an hour. And then you were sick. <laughs> About six minutes later. <laughs> Spewed. Uh, I, I made her ask it. But, uh, the, in terms of the workout, what did we do? So we, we had to sp- sprint like mm. 100 metres, walk 50, sprint 100, walk 50, sprint 200, walk 50, sprint 200, walk 50, like that. We covered about 1.6 kilometres in the space of seven minutes, right. eight minutes, like really went for it and I, I was spewing. But then it was like flipping tyres, sitting down and pulling 40 kilo weights towards you with a rope, pushing it back. Carrying a keg? A keg. Yeah. I usually am just used to drinking them, not... <laughs> I was thinking, why did he bring his own keg with him? <laughs> <laughs> Here's the one I made earlier. Here's a picture of Scotland. <clears throat> I was, I'm glad you met Ben, though, because he's a really interesting boy and I've reached that point at 39, right, I'm falling to bits. And I just kept getting injured. And uh, a friend of mine, your man, Jason Fox from SES Who Dares Wins, yeah. he said, come and meet this lad, he'll help you back from injury, because he's had every injury you can imagine. He's 27 years old. And it's an incredible story. He was playing for Wales and Neath Ospreys at rugby, and there was talk of him getting capped at some point by the British Lions. And he kept getting concussed, so every time he tackled somebody, 
he would go a little bit blind. And he said to you yesterday, I think I heard him saying that, you know, he was told if he played one more game, he could die mm. at 27. So your entire life has been defined by your sport. You're only going to be a professional rugby player. And then a doctor says, you cross that white line one more time, you're going to die. It's unimaginable. It's a point I've kind of made as well about young footballers. Yeah. Um, people who play football their whole life, that's where they get their self-value, yeah. their, their, their place in society, if you will. And yeah. for some some fat guy to turn around and say, no, do you know what, actually, that's not going to happen. And yeah. it must just absolutely cripple you. Ben, yeah. some man. And I've listened to loads of your podcasts, and you, you bring it up quite a lot about how mental health plays a huge part, and particularly in sportsmen's lives. And, you know, the guy... He's had to start from scratch, and it's difficult for a big. You know, imagine the, the dressing room atmosphere amongst yeah. you know thirty big strong lads, and he he was hiding his concussion, right? So he was pretending he wasn't hurt because he knew it was knew it was coming. Mm. He knew that he was going to be in bother, and he has little. Every now and again, he'll forget what he's talking about. He's still got problems with his memory, and you think, wow, you know, these guys will probably a lot of them will be in wheelchairs in their fifties. You know, the, the the damage they put themselves through. I mean, I know you're not a massive egg chaser, and yeah. I, I admire the sport, but I certainly don't play it. And you think, imagine that, you know, you know you're going to cripple yourself by playing that sport. It's incredible. He's, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to having him on next time I'm down in London. I'll have yeah. him on yeah. in return for another punishing PT <laughs> session. Right. Uh, oh, um, man. We made up for it later on, though, Sean. We certainly did. So what did we do? We went straight to the Radio X studios. Right. You recorded a show with Toby. Right, so... Imagine you're me. So I sat in, Gordon recorded a show with Toby on Radio X. Toby like, Tarrant, yeah. Toby's brand new. I, so that's the thing. I didn't know his surname. <laughs> and I was like, why does this guy keep doing a fucking Chris... After every take, <laughs> he keeps doing a Chris Tarrant impression. <laughs> lovely, jubbly. Yeah, lovely, lovely, lovely. And then you're like, do you know his dad is? Tarrant. And I was like, oh my God, Chris Tarrant's son. What a nice guy. Toby's a lovely boy. He's a great lad. A, a total pro, by the way. I was yeah. so impressed by his, yeah. the way he was working. I mean, it must be hard having a, a famous dad, you know, and he, it's a big shadow to step out of. Because, yeah. you know, I don't know if you know, but his dad was a big capital DJ back in the 80s. I didn't know that. Uh, no. So he was probably the highest paid breakfast DJ in the country for wow. about, about eight or nine years. Uh, with a, I think he'd have over like two million listeners or something at the time, sure. maybe more in London. And you know, you've got to try and define your own life, haven't you? Yeah. And you've got to step out the shadow of your old man. Does do people ever say to him like in the office of the studio, like, is that your final answer? No, that. Oh, he gets it tight all the time. <laughs> he gets it. And he, to be fair to Toby, he is absolutely brilliant with it. You know, yeah. he, he can take a wind up. <laughs> and then we went on to. Matt Morgan came in, so Matt Morgan is going to be on Blethered soon. He hasn't officially confirmed it, but he did say that he would do it, so therefore I'm taking that as binding. Worryingly, in the last three days, he's failed to turn up for football. He didn't come to the gym with us, because that word there... Shat it. Correct. He shat it. (laughs) And and he said he'd do your podcast, so, you know, we'll see. (laughs) For anybody who doesn't know Matt Morgan, first of all, educate yourself, you scum tramp. (laughs) He is the genius behind Russell Brand's comedy. He's Russell Brand's uh, writing partner mm. he's written for jimmy carr and other people and he is to me the funny uh, somebody i've been a fan of since i was about 18 so to sit at a table with him and chat yeah. with him yesterday and then be in the studio and between when the song the music was on and stuff because yeah. uh, we so I sat in on your show four till seven and radio x by the way it's, it's watching a pro it's like looking at me like that's what i need to get to that's that's the level um but Matt, everything he said, I just was like a wee giggling schoolgirl. Just don't take my fucking job, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've, still, I've still got some serious bills to pay, right? <laughs> All in good time, Sean. Right? Just stay in Glasgow now. <laughs> we'll get there. London, London's calling, that's all I'll say. Um, and right now, what I'd like to 
to me. I know a lot about you, been a fan of yours for years. It's now very surreal to me that we are pals. <laughs> because, you know, I'd read your column, I'd listen to you in the radio with Noel Gallagher, like all these things. And I want to take the listener, Saturday mate, listener, are you good? Or pal, Gran, are you listening as well? <laughs> uh, my Gran loves the show, by the way. I know, I followed that part of it. <laughs> she Love genuinely, it. Sean, will you send me a link? I can't hear. <laughs> okay. Right, they've got a Gran, there you go. I want to enlighten people as to who you are in terms of early days, what your life was like, because you had a very quote unquote normal upbringing, normal life. You've got a normal life in Scotland. But you've got this fucking mad existence. Aye. Right, I mean, just to even give you an idea, we walked, <laughs> walked out of Gordon's flat and we bumped into the... What's her name? Barbara Sharon. Right, PC. she's a music publicist for who? I'd say she, she's probably one of the biggest music publicists in the world. She's from Chicago originally, but has lived in London for probably 35 years. So Keith Richards, Madonna, Kasabian... Um, who else does she do? The first thing she said was, Gordon, we must do dinner very soon. Yeah, she's a character. She really is. She's a powerhouse of a woman. And, mm. you know, formidable. And all artists love her, right? So I think she wrote Keith Richards' book in the late 70s, early 80s, and then became a publicist. And like like I say, you, you name an artist, she does the Foo Fighters. There's wow. another one. But she everybody, she knows everyone, and she's brilliant at what she does. And then we got to Carnaby Street, and we bumped into Amy Winehouse's manager, who also gave you a big hug. A big Ray, a lovely man. And anybody who's seen that film, anything that's said about that man is wider the mark, because he's yeah. a great human being. I love him dearly. The uh, oh, but I should probably make an admission that I think I am still half cut. Because yeah. <laughs> I do not feel hungover, therefore I must still be pish because we had a late night at the Groucho. Yeah, there's, a bit, there's a wee bit of bubble about you today. It's yes. good. Yeah, you know, I listen to the podcast, it's normally very serious. But <laughs> <laughs> but, see, we'll get halfway through and like, I'll sober up and I'll just be in a, a bad place. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll chat about it. You can't, I'm not going to say too much, but I'd put it this way I got Daryl Breen in a headlock in the Groucho <laughs> Club last night. You don't remember this at all, no, do you? I, I don't remember it. And thank fuck, to be honest, because fear. Do you remember getting Daryl Breen in a headlock? That was what half an said? hour after you got John Mickey <laughs> and a headlock went, you, uh, you shouted across him, Whoa! <laughs> it's a shout you only really hear in Scotland. Oh, oh, John, John, oh, John. As Taggart wanders over for a blether. Aye, and he, he was brand new. Yeah, he was, he was loving it. You were he, having a wee cuddle. He was loving me, just yeah. raving about him. He was thrilled I, to hear it. I, I genuinely watched Taggart all the time. Mm. It comes up in different, like Alibi and a different, a few other channels. And as soon as I see it, I hit record Aye. and I watch it. So he was buzzing because I was referencing some episodes. And it must be nice, like you're sitting in a, a bar in Glasgow. He was dressed very interestingly. He was, yeah, he a was. tank top and a tracky jacket. He's really into the yoga, isn't he? There's a big medallion on. We should say, actually, we were at a place called the Groucho Club, right? And yes. we'd been for dinner. I took Sean out for dinner with a guy who makes the Quickly Kevin podcast and Phil Christie, who's the president of Warner Records, and they were giving you some wisdom on podcasting yep. and how to make a few quid out of it and all of that. And we had a really good dinner. And then went for a drink and met up with Dylan John Thomas as well. Yes. He was Dylan, brilliant on your podcast, but it was a great uh, interview. Uh, we had Rianne there as well. Rianne's going to be on soon. An equally, an equally interesting person and character. Yep. Um, an incredible musician. I was raving. I get, I get 14 red wines down me and I started raving <laughs> about how she was going to be the next Aye. massive thing and she will be if you haven't heard um, if you haven't heard Dylan's music then get on to it right away and also Rianne you, you will not be disappointed but Dil- Dylan's a great guy you, you've obviously been backing Dylan a lot Radio X you're a, yeah. we'll get into that as well but you're a real champion of young Scottish talent yeah, it's and, a mad uh, story that one you know, because I, I was desperately desperately unhappy in Glasgow in about 2016 and the highlight of my day was walking from the St Enoch Centre car park to the office in Queen Street and there was always a busker 
on Argyle Street or, you know, up and towards Buchanan Street. And it was weird because I didn't know it was Dylan. And I remember one day I gave him a fiver and he was like, oh, you can't ask too much. I was like, <laughs> mate, I give you all the money I've got because you're the only highlight of my day, you know. <laughs> and uh, weirdly then, <clears throat> through Jerry, I uh, started seeing him playing at gigs. and Jerry Cinnamon. Yeah, Jerry Cinnamon. And I'm so proud of him because that, that song, Nobody Else, is ray of light. Yeah, and fair play to you, you know, that interview you did with him was absolutely outstanding. And I've stolen all of the patter from it and uh, claimed <laughs> it as my own on the radio. And I'll be doing the same as well with Rianne. That's all right, because I steal your patter as well. You, just, you don't always hear it. You know, well, I, it's, I, I just love that. I absolutely love it. And it's the same with you, you know, to see people from Scotland doing well. I love that. You know, because nobody's opening doors. You know, when I first came down to London, I was really lucky. I knew a guy called Derek Brown who I'd worked with at DC Thompson in Dundee, and he kind of opened a very small door for me, and like I kicked it down, <laughs> and I was like, right, I'm going to work harder than everybody else here. Yeah. I'll finish last and get in earlier, go out later, mm-hmm. and it worked. You know, and I love it when I see Dylan and Jerry and yourself, and people coming down and really doing well. Let's go way back to the start in terms of your story. Right, yeah. Grew up in Fife. Is that what you're born? Uh, no, I was born, in, born Ed- in Edinburgh. I was born in Edinburgh, so I, I feel really lucky, right? I, and I've listened to your podcast a lot, and you know, a lot of your guests have had a, a really tough upbringing. Mm. And I think you know, you've had an interesting life yourself. And I, I'm so grateful. I had this absolutely perfect childhood, and uh, my mum and dad. My mum's a teacher, and my dad's a doctor, so they were really young. In fact, I think they got married because they were pregnant with my big brother. <laughs> Shotgun <laughs> so, wedding. So my dad was a medical student in Edinburgh. <laughs> and he, you know, he had an interesting life as well. My granddad was a soldier, his dad. I haven't told you this, you're going to be upset about it. It's a bit of a secret. But I'm related to Davy Weir, the footballer. Oh, no. I know. Jambo and that other lot. Elsie, cut this recording. <laughs> <We're out. laughs> I know. And, um, so I think his granddad is my granddad's brother, if that makes sense. Wow, right, so my okay. dad is David Weir Smart, my granddad. Right. Um, my, sorry, my dad's Andrew Galloway Weir Smart. His dad was David Weir Smart. So anyway, you get the idea. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so my dad was one of six. Uh, and then my granddad, when he left the army, opened the news agency. And then he had like three or four news agents in Fife, in Leaven, uh, King Lassie, places like that. And... Uh, my mum was from Lahore in West Fife and my granddad was a bit of a character and my, and yeah so you know my my mum was and my dad are of that generation they were really lucky to be able to go to university for free so they both come from pretty humble beginnings but I grabbed that chance to get an education mm-hmm. so they were both at university in Edinburgh in the late 70s and yeah my big brother was born when my mum and dad were 21 and 22 I think and then I was probably born when they were 24 25 something like that and um, yes yeah, so I grew up in Toll Cross in Edinburgh for the first part of my life right. then moved to Linlithgow and then went from Linlithgow to Kinross because my dad was the GP in Kinross where Tina Park was sorry he was in Kelty but just along the road Aye. and um, I had 14 years there so I went to school all the way through at Kinross and then moved back well I went to Dundee for DC Thompson's worked at the Courier and even Telegraph as a journalist and then I went to back to Edinburgh when I was what would have been 18, 19 back to Tollcross weirdly and that was me Tollcross then Leith I bought a flat in Leith and that was magic like living around the corner from Easter Road I don't know about anybody else but I'm just singing Proclaimer songs in my head <laughs> like let us go no more <laughs> I know, no I more. Know, I know. it was you know what and I've just I was so lucky because my, and I look at it now my dad and my mum sacrificed everything mm-hmm. to give us the best chance in life and I'm so grateful for that like they really did you know the safe secure happy house filled with music all the time and you know everything was about us holidays sport you know they encouraged us to I was being taken swimming football you know, learn to play golf. Yeah. Both me and my brother play the piano and a trumpet, and it was just all about just 
try everything. Yeah. I remember saying to my mum and dad, like, why did you why did you get us into all of that? And they were like, Well, you know, the devil makes work for idle hands. Yeah. And if we'd had you know, it's like you got spare time, you're gonna get into trouble. Yeah. That's what you do <laughs> when you're wee. And we, we were lucky to grow up where we grew up because there was like a, a massive gang of us, right? There was yeah. loads of kids. And um, we're all still pretty friendly now as well. Mm. You know, one of them, one of us is a monk now, and uh, <laughs> no joking, got a wee bit carried away. Uh, Jesus! And it's been it's been an amazing upbringing, and it's really set me up for life. And I think being Scottish has been a huge part and a huge help to what's happened in my adult life. You say that upbringing kind of you know stood you in good stead. Yeah. And was the great thing? Did you do you like when you were younger? Would you sort of try new things or undertake new things with the knowledge and the sort of safety in your mind that no matter what happens, my family are there behind me yeah. uh, and you know, I can just go for it. And if it doesn't work out, you know, I've got that. I don't mean safety net as in, yeah. you know, you can just they'll look after you, but yeah. they just give you this sort of unconscious... Oh, totally, yeah. It's an encouraging, like my, both my granddads were big personalities and they were hugely encouraging people. And, uh, you know, my mum and dad as well were always behind us whatever we did you know and and in some respects i wish they pushed me harder at stuff yeah you know my, my dad's side of the family there's a lot of good footballers and i you know i was really into football when i was younger but they had seen what had happened my, my cousin kevin was a great junior footballer went down to aston villa and um was kind of yeah he missed home and i think there was a lot of don't get too carried away with this football work yeah. because you're not going to make your living out of it mm. but weirdly I, there's a spell for a year where i worked as a football coach and played football and uh you know, I kept breaking bones, so that didn't really amount to much. Right? <laughs> but, um, it, you know, it, again, it was just purely about being encouraged and, you know, give everything a shot. That's a great a great way to take her on at life. Actually, if I want to bring this up, because I think this is really funny, so I'm very thorough <laughs> in my research. You know what I'm going to bring up about the DC Thompson thing? <laughs> very thorough in my research, and I'll just look for every morsel of information and, and background. So in your Wikipedia... It says, <laughs> Gordon, Gordon started working at DC Thompson mm. in his early career, but he was forced to leave uh, by mutual consent or by mutual agreement because of unspeakable acts. He performed unspeakable <laughs> acts. Performed <laughs> unspeakable acts. This, um, this has been a long-running thing with my Wikipedia carry-on, right? And I'm pretty sure it's my brother and his pals. You take, you take it on a rota to put in misinformation, and it's getting even more creative by the year. So about 15 years ago, one of them, I think it was one of them, Put on um, Gordon Smart was arrested at Parkhead for storming the home area, <laughs> uh, wearing a long neck, just Stone Island sweater. <laughs> and, uh, so, anyway, the Guardian phoned the Sun at the time and said, We believe Gordon Smart has been involved in football hooliganism <laughs> uh, and had an unorganised violence. <laughs> and I was like, What? Oh, it's like I followed Hibs all round like Scotland and uh, you know I've had some interesting times, but <laughs> I loved it. They were like you know as if they'd had this great insight. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> and uh, it's it, the one. What was the other one? Uh, Gordon Smart was um, questioned by the RSPCA for sticking macaroni to dogs' fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it just is. I, I find it really funny. And, and like people, are like, oh, do you get wound up about what people say to you online? And it's like look. I ripped the piss for a long time. In the paper. Yeah. If you can't take it, right? I don't dish it. I know, and it's like I feel lucky as well. Like I grew up with it. You, you had to be quite bold and quite brash to cope yeah. with the the pattern that was going on where we grew up. Because my you know, my big brother's two and a half, three years older than me, mm -hmm. and if you, <laughs> I don't never forget this, right? There was a turning point in our lives 
when we were about 13, we were all playing football in the local park. And my best friend was a guy called Benji Edie, right? And Benji got a pair of white feel of boots. And there was another lad who we lived called Rory McLeod, who was a bit older. Rory, big, red-haired, hard rugby lad, really bright, great on the guitar, one of these fuckers that's good at everything. And he was picking on us and picking us and picking us, and Benji just lost his shit. And we were just getting that little bit stronger at the time. <laughs> and he booted him up the arse and, and broke Rory's coccyx, right? Fuck So Rory couldn't sit down for about six weeks. And after that, there was a new level of, like, no more scrapping. No more. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, Benji's still one of my best friends, a great lad. Being Scottish and the patter that flies about, you know, it forces you, you have to, you, you adapt or die, or yeah. you kind of deal with it or, uh, or die. Do you think being Scottish has kind of benefited you, patter-wise, industry-wise? Like, massively. We don't, we don't yeah. take any shit, do we? Oh, massively. And I, the reason I do my job, right, I'm interested in people, I love meeting new folk. You know, I, I, my dream is just chat and shite with folk that I've never met before and I should point out right now you're the last person I need in my fucking life by <laughs> I've got enough people who are good at going out <laughs> and last night you put on a star man performance I was, I was a fucking I was a number 10 I just got to apologise to your granny by the way because I carried you up the stairs with your suitcase and your back I woke up put you that, to your bed I, I woke up and I was like how did we get here I, know. I woke up with a box of matches for the groucho look in your face and I said do you remember getting Dara Breen in a headlock <laughs> A classic night out in London. <clears throat> but, um, yes, being Scottish was such a big help to me. And, you know, when I was working at the paper and I was sent to events and you speak to somebody and they hear your accent, they're like, oh, you're Scottish. So, like, that that opened yeah. so many doors. And, and I don't know what it is as well. Like, I always had this burning fire inside me to go and see the world, meet new people, do stuff. And I think Scots, by their very nature, are pretty good at leading, right? Yeah. And I think we're not only just good at leading, I think we're good at being part of a team. Mm. Like, we can be told what to do as well as tell people what to do with a bit of authority and um, I, I kind of I really enjoy that you know I, I, it's one of the things I miss most is not playing football anymore you know mm -hmm. I like the organising and being a part of it and it's, 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 you've got to find things to replace that and that's why I go to that gym yeah. so you're in a room full of ex-sportsmen and ex-servicemen yeah. you're trying to find that camaraderie that they had in the army or they had in sport and I, it's it's a sanctuary for me because it's good for the heat one thing I thought when we walked in I was like oh man this is these are some intimidating men <laughs> these are like big <laughs> six foot five built like fuck but Aye. one thing that struck me immediately like Ben gave me a hug Aye. and he and just thanked me for coming I was like what thank me and just everybody that we encountered even in the Aye. the changing room in the midst of, of, of you know in the centre of London where was it Victoria it's in Victoria yeah and yeah, in, in London a place that would you normally would assume or would imagine would be very cold dry you know Londoners are a bit Aye. a funny breed and everybody was just so sound so it's always nice to have somebody down from Scotland because your attitude to people is totally different I speak to strangers on the tube all the time and they're thinking he's going to mug me, <laughs> mug me. and you just today already speaking to the girl in pret a -Monji. Just everybody, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm comfortable introducing you to people because I know you can cope with that I conversation. I, I actually think that's part of the problem a younger generation have at the moment is because there's so much time spent interacting with people through technology. Yeah. They've forgotten how to speak to people. And like, if you no longer have to chat to folk to form a relationship, right, with somebody of the same sex, another sex, whatever it is, mm -hmm. 
then you're going to struggle in life because right. you have to be able to communicate. You need to be able to talk. Right. I'm a weirdo that way. Like I've talked, and and looks at me. I'm like, do you want to chat? Right. <laughs> like talking about the guy, the big issue seller outside Pret and all that. And just right. anybody I meet, I'm like, I just want to talk to you. Right. And we we'll kind of chat away. And to be fair, you're good, even good company on a hangover. I can't. I'm waiting for the crash. By <laughs> the crash that won't come, mate. You start I'm crying a, this afternoon. Mate, I'm on a high. I'm buzzing to get back in. We're going to the radio studio again. Right. Can't. I'm buzzing. Right. You know what, Sean? It's great to have you down. And I think it's important. I say this as well that it was a guy called Ian Greenhill who pointed me in your direction Ian we love you we love him Ian, Ian is a future blethered guest he's got to get him. August he's coming on he's had a rough time recently so you know he's a great lad and I love that guy again that's a big thing for us is like connecting people right yeah. so if you can come down here and I can open some doors and then you get on one day you will probably be my boss right? <laughs> so you think this is me being nice is it fuck <laughs> this, this, is is a, this is calculated yeah. and he's uncaring I'm a shaking washed up <laughs> Edinburgh JK like he's a job shot the new Alan Brazil. <laughs> then just people, I've got this pal Ferrigan who's a massive character, right? And I'm sure a few of your listeners will know her from Scotland for various different reasons. <laughs> and she keeps sending me pictures of Alan Brazil in various different sweaty states, saying, That's you in five years, that's you in two years. My favourite part about Alan Brazil is a picture of him and it says, Alan Brazil is going to be the first man whose cause of death is listed simply as exploding. exploding. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? He's a brilliant broadcaster, by the way. I really like he's Alan. He's quite skilled, isn't he? He's good, he's really good. I was going to dig him out for his strange accent, but I'll, I'll, I've, I've kind of mentioned it. Yeah, now. I'm trying to think if I can. Tell Alan, you. if you're listening, fuck up. You're not going to date now. <laughs> There's another job you can have in five years. Aye, I'll take that. You know your football. football. Yeah, but it's um, you know, yeah, that thing about Scotland though. It's it really is important. Like it, uh, there'll be people listening going, "He's that prick from the Sun that used to be a terrible name dropper." Mm. My job is to meet famous people, right? So you yeah. have to you have to drop names as a result of it. And we've already been at it. Even even in, in twenty four hours, Aye. as we have sort of ambled through London in the Radio X studio and in the Groucho last night, Aye. we had a lot of famous people, Aye. and I was. Uh, uh, Expected, but still impressed. So, how many thing. people were just making a beeline for you? Because I've had a pretty weird three years, Sean. In all honesty, like trying to get my head around what's happened the last fifteen years, because it's been mental, right? And like the last three years, just kind of leaving newspapers and just taking a minute to get my head around what's happened. And you know, you you do listen to because because we're so accountable for what we do now. Everybody is. You post mm. on Facebook, and somebody will tell you you're a dafty straight away, or you'll say something. I'll make a mistake in the radio, and people hammer you for it. Or Aye. you get something wrong, people tell you you're wrong, and that, that's fair enough. That's life. But when you step out of the the mad treadmill, the newspapers, tabloid newspapers as well, there's a wee bit of like you know, it's like I'd imagine leaving a football club or you know, leaving a big job and, and doing something different. There is a bit of a mental health thing about it. Yeah. And I haven't really spoken to anybody about it other than my wife. And um, it, it's been great listening to your podcast because I think it's a, a really encouraging thing and uh, that people can open up and be quite um, revealing about how they feel about things, you know, because it it's so important. You know, I, lo- I loved the one you did with Melly. That was the first one I listened to. Martin Melly, yeah, nice guy. a cracking guy, and I like Chris McQueer as well, it was a cracking yeah. podcast. And it's great to hear these guys who, you know, I always bang on about the veneer of social media, right? Yeah. So people, you say to me, oh, what a mad life you've got, and I'm like, you only post the highlights, right? Yeah. So people only see the exciting stuff. They don't see Monday morning when my son's crying, going, why did you have to go to London, Dad? Or, yeah. you know, my daughter won't speak to me on the phone, and things like that. And, you know, my wife's got the hump because I've been out with Sean McDonald. <clears throat> and, um, <laughs> Kate, I'm sorry. <laughs> and she, she's brilliant, but... Um, you don't post that stuff, do you? And it's the same with you. You're like, you I love it. it makes me laugh every time you mention on the rooftops in Barcelona. Rooftops off. <laughs> and rooftops off. <laughs> and um, because people only see that. And yeah, 
it's such an important thing for folk to understand. Never judge yourself up against other people. Because oh, the minute you get into that, it doesn't matter how successful you are or how much you're struggling, you're only going to make yourself unhappy. We, we chatted about it yesterday and I mentioned um, when I had Jodie McCallum on and this sort of, we, we touched upon it as well. Uh, the what exists is comparison culture because it's a yeah. thing that you're seeing each day and you're consuming it and I think it's a very unconscious thing but I said you have to be very mindful and careful not to let's just say it's Tuesday morning mm. you're in your work yeah, you're on your lunch break you're having a Greg's you've got a direct debit coming out tomorrow Aye. Uh, you were up to two in the morning watching Netflix and you're fat and shattered <laughs> and you know it just, it's just a shite day Do you know, it's normality it's life life is ups and downs Um and then you are then looking at someone's highlight reel for yeah. a full year. So I could take myself as, for example, if I go back to December and Christmas Eve, I flew first class to, to Rio. Nice. That was magic. Yeah. Um, that's one photo you'll see. Then you'll see a picture of me in Madrid. Then you'll see me in Valencia. Um, you'll see me in Nights Out. You'll see me on a beach having a nice time in Barcelona. You'll see me down here in London. But what you don't see in between is the times where I severely doubt myself, the yeah. times when I question myself, the times when I'm like, um, you know, I'm, I'm comparing myself, I'm feeling a wee bit shite, and it's like, it is a highlight reel, and you cannot mm. compare that one, mo you know, that moment in your year to someone's entire year and say, this is my life in comparison to theirs, because everybody yeah. is struggling, everybody, you know, life is quite tough yeah, you know, you're at that point of your life were you 27 28 28 yeah. right so you get to that point where it's it's not a lot I like I still look at trees and think I could climb that and then <laughs> I think oh, I'm a dad I've got two kids I'm trying to support all of this and last year I lost my voice for three weeks <clears throat> as you could probably hear I guess a wee bit vulnerable when I've been out with Sean McDonald the worst thing for my job Aye. but um, <clears throat> well, I, I didn't get paid for three weeks right and like you say, you've got direct debits flying out. The missus has crashed the car again. <laughs> or like, you know, you've got you've got responsibilities. And I'm thinking, I need to completely reconsider this because yeah. it's so vulnerable. It could all be over tomorrow. Taken away. And I'm, you know, in the hospital, you know, getting the camera stuck down my throat. And the guy's like, look, you've got a lump on your vocal cords. <coughs> We're not sure what it is. I mean, you hear somebody say you've got a lump. You yeah, think, shit, yes, sir. Oh, no. You know, I, and you take it all for granted until you get a big fright. And I've been, again, really grateful for the way I was brought up that, you know, I was encouraged to be healthy, look after myself. And you do get big frights. Like, I lost my mother-in-law, Kate's mum, Jim Leishman's wife, about uh, 10 years ago now. She was 52. And, you know, that's 12. That's so young. That's tw if, if I died at the same age, I've got 12 years left. And that's a morbid and dark thing to think. Uh -huh. But you ha life isn't a rehearsal, right? You have to do what makes you happy. And, you know, my brother's a dentist and he's struggling, he's finding it hard. And people are like, ah, oh, dentists are all rich and all the rest of it. And yeah. you're like, you just don't know. And I'm, I'm a huge believer in that. You know, never judge a book by its cover. Never judge a man or a woman until you've walked a mile in their shoes. And I'm sure, like, a lot of the guys listening to your podcast will have a preconceived idea of me because I'm a tab or have been a tabloid journalist yeah. and it was so nice like I got this lovely feeling when you said you've always been a champion of good music and talent and that means the world to me mm -hmm. because I spend my entire life people open the conversation with oh you must be a total prick because you work for the sun and you're like yeah oh. so like the other day you were talking about it on social media about Go in and get your crayons, your dafties work, you know. And I was like, With yeah. the tabloid patter, like Glasgow's leafy West End. He was, he was in the posh eatery. Like, fuck off. And I was laughing, thinking, that's the language I wrote, right? And yeah. here's the thing, you know, that, that, that was written for a particular audience, right? Yeah. So I think I could write for 
any paper. I think you could probably do that as well. You could probably adopt, adapt a new style to broadcast on a different radio station. Yeah. Like you've got to be quite chameleon-like in mm-hmm. your life. But if you are writing for a specific audience and then somebody from another audience judges you on that, I don't think that's particularly fair, really. You know? Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. I, I'm very... I'm, at times harsh and I can be outspoken right. and stuff and I did I actually I did say and so if there any there will be some journalists listening to this I'm sorry that I said <laughs> your parents will be mortified when they tell their friends what you did with your journalism degree I, I genuinely am because um, I've, I've kind of come to understand that it does still piss yeah. me off though that tabloid speak I, I just can't go I'm like who says you know the people romped until I know, I know. Like, just I, I, I totally get that. It's it's quite interesting how you say that because I think social media was like a, a line in the sand, right? Because before yeah. that, I'd go to like a party or a dinner party or whatever it is, a mate's house, and and focus it. Your job must be really interesting. What's the best headline you ever saw? What's the funniest story? What's the best thing that's never gone in the paper? Who's the most interesting person you've ever met? Who's the biggest dick? You know all that kind of uh, stuff. And then <clears throat> social media started, and then I started to be aware of like this totally horrific negative connotation and by the way you've got to remember I was 20 just turned 23 when I started at the sun ah yeah and I was fucking rooked right mm-hmm. skint uh, me and, I don't think anybody really knows this but there was one point me and Kate were signing on in Leith because right? <laughs> uh, and by the way you know I've got a degree hires qualifications all sorts of stuff yeah and I just couldn't get arrested and I was like we were both struggling Kate by the way Brilliant singer, dancer, you know, qualified teacher and all yeah. this kind of stuff. Couldn't get arrested. And I remember signing on in Leith and I was just thinking, how on earth has this happened? And um, I, end- I ended up getting a job as a reporter in Edinburgh. I think my, my salary was £12,000 a year. And people are like, how on- why on earth did you go and work for The Sun? And I'm like, right, you can see the credit card debt building up, yeah. right? And then suddenly you're offered a chance in London at the biggest selling newspaper in the world and you're going to have your salary multiplied by X. Mm-hmm. You're going to say no, eh? At 23, Aye, yeah. good luck to you. Yeah. And by the way, in the next five years, travelled the world, met my heroes, and by the time I was 26, was editing the biggest showbiz column in the world. And I was, you know, comfortable, Had a fl- bought a flat, was married, you know, was, I was having the time of my life. Yeah. And then the older you get, and you're doing this now, right? You get to the certain age where you start to question what you're doing, the ethics, the principles, how you're affecting folks' lives. And Levison Inquiry happened, and it made me think about my job in a different way, sort of an academic way. Yeah. Uh, that, so the whole thing was called the Levison Inquiry, an investigation into the standards, practices, and ethics of the newspaper industry. And it was like doing a degree. Yeah. And I remember being asked questions about public interest and how do you think people you write about are affected by things you say. And in the last 10 years, I've had this sort of mad sort of realisation where you think, God, that's, um, you know, I've upset people. But mm. what I always try and remind folk is that for every egg that was broken for an omelette, I tell you what, this is going to be a weird mixed metaphor I've just run down, but <laughs> there was a load of positivity as yeah. well, you know, and... Um, that that's the thing I find frustrating. It's you know you, you, people only. It's like if you're in a band, artists and musicians only remember the bad reviews. They never remember nice things that are said yeah. about them. And when I did the column, when I did Bizarre for six years, <clears throat> I tried to do it differently than Piers Morgan and Andy Coulson and Victoria Newton and all those guys. Try to be positive. Yeah. And I thought I'm not going to be a dick. I'm going to try and get all my famous people. That's that's one thing I noticed. So we were talking about this yesterday when I said how surreal it was as we sort of walked past Buckingham Palace together. I was like, I when I was. I was like 16 
and I would read your column. And I'm not just, I, I, I had to say it yesterday as well, I'm not just saying this that because we're together, I, I would genuinely enjoy it and look forward to it. And it's one thing I always noticed, and I had multiple examples of that positivity. Aye. You were the man who introduced me to Las Vegas, Aye. one of my favourite bands, uh, because you... Still love them. Aye, oh, brilliant. And you, you, you wrote a, a bit about their new single, Daddy's Gone. You were a big champion of GLS, those lads. <laughs> you totally backed them to the Aye, I know. Because <laughs> people have said, oh, you're obsessed with Kasebe and you just, you're licking old Gallagher's arse. Well, what, like. what do they want? Do they want then the, the alternative would be to say, oh, you're such a dickhead, all you've got is just negative things to say. Uh, about people. Well, my attitude is like, well, it's great you've been listening and you've been reading what I'm saying, but yeah. people forget I probably wrote more. In fact, I did. And I know this actually is a scientific fact because we, we measured it one day and <laughs> how many mentions they got. But I wrote more about JLS, One Direction, probably Girls Aloud. More, more about pop than I did about the bands that I really loved. Yeah. So I was writing about Queens of the Stone Age as well and Arctic Monkeys and all sorts of stuff, you know. <clears throat> and then um, people are like, oh, you're just only ever licking or writing about Kasabian. And it's just not true, you know. And, and actually, yeah. the other thing is it, it goes back to that weird prejudice. They're like, oh, you're in a shite manufactured pop band. Marvin Humes is one of the nicest men you'll ever meet. Yeah. Right? JB's a farmer, right? He's got a deer farmer in the south of Scotland. <laughs> and it's like, you, you don't know this stuff about people unless you meet them. And, um, you know, I, I've been, again, I hear people doing it all the time. Oh, he must be boring. He's an accountant. And I'm thinking, well, he was in the Reaper band two weeks ago for three days, Aye. going off radar. You're <laughs> saying he's boring. Aye, right. Aye. You know, you just don't know with folk. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, I, I'm, I get really wound up a bit. My biggest bugbear in the world is snobbery. Right. Mm. I, it makes my piss boil I call it the waiter test And I love it when you're down here as well Because you speak to people the same way I try to do Everybody's the same yeah. right? We've all got an arsehole right? <laughs> and, um, I, and I think that's what helped, helped me in my job Is that I, I'll treat George Clooney exactly the same As I'll treat Sean McDonald Aye, mate, I don't give a fuck who you are what you've done. Yeah. You? I was almost hugging that waiter in so <laughs> last night. You were I, hugging him Aye, well, can I help you with plates? I know Um Oh, by the way, actually, I'm really looking forward to next night out bumping into Harry Styles. I'm convinced me and him would be good mates, you know. Aye, yeah, he's, uh, it was quite fun. I'm, I'm going to reveal some secrets about last night in the true tabloid style. There we go. I'm we got gonna... dragged upstairs at one point by a group of women. And I was thinking, I wonder what they want us to go upstairs for. Maybe they want Dylan to sing, right? Dylan John Thomas. We get upstairs and there's this really weird atmosphere and it transpires very quickly that they just want to look at Sean McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> they just wanted to look at you. I, I was, was like, always confused. And it just struck me actually. I, I thought, do they think he's an actual novo? Oh, <laughs> Have you had that before? No, mate. Just, just <laughs> that's out of you. It's fucking over. Do you know what I've heard a couple of times? Ian Black. Oh, really? Oh, no. He he should be so fucking lucky. Oh, mate, I've got a problem with him after the uh, the cup final. I'm not, I'm not particularly that. a fan. Hearts and Rangers, no. Man. Well, we'll agree on that. Eh? We'll yeah, agree on that. Yeah. But it was so funny. We walk into that room last night. And they just want to look at you. Ah, yeah, I thought there was going to be drinks or something. I was like, "Where's the prosecco? Like, what's that? Why are we here? There was no music, and I just had to hug a few people. And then <laughs> I was like, "Did you think? Did you think I'm somebody else?" Imagine how happy I was when that girl said to me, "Is he your son?" <laughs> He's never coming fucking back. <laughs> never it's bad enough with comps than my other child that I have to be a carer for. Aye, he's he's a, he's a good guy. We'll, we'll kind of come to that. I want to chat with him. Martin, I'm I'm convinced comps will be listening to this because he hears his mate Gordon's on a podcast. He'll listen to your interest, mm. Martin. If you don't come in, I'll smash you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> actually, I saw I saw him at uh, Celtic Park the last game of the season. He yeah. was uh, doing. His... Tell you one thing, actually, that I will have to state at this point. Martin was in the. 
Jock's Dean Upper, which is, I believe, where his season, season ticket, ticket is. I, and, uh, <coughs> Excuse me. I was standing kind of pitch side because I went to see my pal, and he was on. He was on the pitch and he was speaking. And as soon as he put the mic to him, I was like, "He's steaming." Like, he was banjo. He'd been out with Jerry, hadn't he? Oh, oh the night before. It was, it was the night of uh, Josh Taylor's fight. He was a friend of ours. So ah, yeah. Got comps in these tickets, and then we got Jerry to meet up with Martin. I was at a wedding in Ibiza trying to get a dodgy stream to watch the fight. Couldn't get it. The next thing, all night, I'm getting messages from Compton saying, Jerry's playing us the new music. And I'm like, great, Martin. Then, <laughs> but then I had, I had a, a nice little smile on my face when I saw him in bits on the pitch oh, he was, trying he to was, string a sentence together. He was pissed and I think the guy asked him something and he just I gave him an answer to a totally different question. <laughs> and That's it, Martin. But the, one thing, he, he posed for pictures with everybody. Everybody and he was getting... Bombarded. It took him ten minutes to get for the pitch back to, to even just into the stand to go up the stairs. Do you know this, Sean? Like, I've got, I love him. Right, he's just like he's like a wee brother to me, and I've got so much time for him. And I've got to know his friends in Greenock as well. They're a good bunch, really good bunch. And Martin hasn't changed one bit. Right, he's in, and it's, he lived with me in London, and um, you know he's total anonymity. People wouldn't bother him. They'd recognise him now and again. But see now, like the, he went back to Greenock recently and he's so kind and so given and he does, he, you want to see how many messages he gets every day. Can you right. do a video with Steve Arnick? You do this. And he does it for everyone. Yeah. And in the end, he's like, I need to go back to Manchester because there was like folk chapping the door and he couldn't get any peace. Can you go for a pint with his lad, with his right. mates? And uh, so anyway, he goes to the petrol station, right? And the lady in the petrol station is like, oh, Martin, Martin, could you come and see my relative? They're not very well. It, it would really help our illness if you come around. She's only 10 minutes away So he ends up Going in his car 40 minutes oh, To this person's house And then they're like told, They've texted everybody On Facebook Whatever They've all turned up And he's like Right I need to go to Manchester now. No you got to Son we've got the food on you Sit down We've got there's, there's more folk coming now And because he's so polite And so kind He does these things You know yeah. And it was great He came to stay with me And my wife and the kids At the weekend And you know We just did We didn't really leave the house For two days Aye. And it was just like old times, you know, and his wife's, um, she's lovely. Came to stay at the house, it was magical, and my kids love him, you know. My wee boy Jimmy's like, Uncle Martin, Uncle Martin. But he's got broken ribs at the moment oh, from uh, UNICEF. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, she, she, the, one of the female players in the uh, the England team broke his ribs. No way. I, Aye. That's going to reinforce any anti-English sentiment. <laughs> exactly, right? exactly. But I love him. When he lived with me in London, so funny, right? So I was in the process of being sent home to Scotland uh, to work for the Scottish Sun, and Martin had moved in, and my wife had come back, and we were doing up this house. And my neighbours had these lovely neighbours, and they phoned me up and they said, "Gordon, we love Martin. He's a he's a such a such a nice guy, but he's been having a party now for." Nearly three days. <laughs> and we've been going to work and coming back and the party's still going. And my my last words to him were, look, remember this is my family home, right? So just respect it, Martin, right? Don't give me any trouble. So anyway, my neighbours aren't angry. It's weird. They're like having this passive-aggressive conversation and they're like, um, so we like Martin, but um, we'd be angrier if it wasn't for the person in your flat with the beautiful voice who's been singing and playing the guitar. So I ring him, I'm like, Martin, what the fuck is going on in the flat? Got the neighbours ringing, I told you about parties. <laughs> Three days. I said, by the way, who's singing in the flat? Paolo. <laughs> Paolo <laughs> Nutini. And weirdly, like two weeks later, I had re some reason to ask Paolo to do something. And he's like, oh, mate, you know, I can't do anything for the sun. And I'm like, oh, really? You can't do anything for the sun? You can stay in my house for three days, can you? <laughs> in my marital bed. And you can't help me out with this, eh? So, um, it's, you know, it's nice not to have any of that carry on anymore. Aye. Like, the, you know, the awkwardness of yeah. 
in the paper and all that shite. One of my favourite stories that I've heard Martin Compson tell, he was on Graham Hunter's big interview, and he's talking about when he was preparing for the... the what was it? The soccer aid? Ah, oh, soccer aid, yeah, UNICEF. Yeah, he was, he was in the soccer aid, UNICEF, and uh, he's been told to rest up. You're, you know, you're playing tomorrow. Jose Mourinho's the manager and Paolo Nettini phones him, and he's like, here... Come on out, and we Gary Tank Commander. Is it Greg aye, McHugh? Greg McHugh, aye. So Greg McHugh, and he says, "Come on out and join us." And he's like, "No, nah, I, I can't. I've got the thing." And he's like, "No, listen, come and join us because there's something happening. Like it'll be good." And he's like, oh, "No, no, I can't." And he's going on and on and on. And Paolo's Paolo Nettini is saying, "No, no, look, you need to come." And he goes, "He's like, right, I'll come for a pint." And he's like, "Why am I here? What's happening?" And he says, "Just wait." And out walks Prince. To do a three-hour set or like something along those lines. He didn't go, did he? I thought well, he, he didn't went. go. He says he, he says he went and he was out to six in the morning. Right, right. I thought he didn't go. I thought the story was he missed out on the actual Prince. Game. No, no. He, he says it, he ended up going. Brilliant. He abs- ended up absolutely. But imagine sitting in Prince walks it. That's it, the thing with London. This, right. this is a mad place. So you've had a taste of this last sort of twenty-four hours or so. But that was me and Martin for. Like, I'll never forget. Right, Olympics twenty twelve. I took Martin to see Blood at Hyde Park and we went back to the after party and all that. We're getting steaming with Damon Albarn. And Martin's in his element. Again, I'm, I'm proud to take him to stuff Aye. because he's great company and he's great value in a night out. Anyway, the next thing, about five o'clock in the morning, we're driving about London in the back of a car trying to find George Michael's house. <laughs> George Michael's house. <laughs> Jesus Because he was having a party. And Did I you make like, it? Uh, no, we didn't actually, you know, because the guy said, do you know where he is? And I'm like, no. Nah. <laughs> and um, I, I do actually sometimes wonder what would have happened if we turned up because again I worked for the Sun at the time doing the bizarre column he wouldn't have been pleased to see me right Yeah. but I'm sure he'd have been thrilled to see young Martin the yes. little cheeky Scottish chop and some young lad uh, that was maybe the like the I've brought this sacrificial lamb for you George can I come and get banjoed at the party but that was like Martin and I had this mad run so it was great for me going to stuff because I knew he is the ultimate plus one, right? Aye. So you'd like we'd go to Kasabian gigs. I took him, he took him out with Noel a few times, and you know he got that UNICEF gig. I put him in touch with him, and it's now this massive bugbear for me, right? So every meeting I have now goes along the lines of, "Yeah, great to meet you, Gordon. We're doing this, we're doing that. Would you put us in touch with Martin?" <laughs> Fuck's sake. Okay, I, <laughs> I want to do that. And it's going to happen with Sean Beck and McDonald as well. Eh? Like Gordon, keep us in touch with that, that lovely young lad. Looks like uh, Nacho Novo. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell that bothered you. I've got oh, one now. Mate, you've got under my skin with that. I fucking hate it. Yeah. Listen, I give I you don't... the compliment. The girls were chasing you around last night, and you were a real gentleman too. What a man! What a man! Let's talk about how you, end, you were saying you get the offer to go down to the sun. Yeah. You times your salary by X. Aye. How did that open your world up? I suppose. Yeah. I mean, did, was it just like going from a pond to the ocean? It was an amazing time, actually. So I've got to give you the proper story here, right? So when I was at school, I thought I was going to be either a doctor or a footballer. So follow my dad's footsteps, be a doctor. So I really stuck in at school, you know. And again, this is probably an unpopular thing. You won't hear it said very often. But my teachers were amazing. I was really lucky. I had a great school. I was, like, inspired and sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I kind of felt like... I was encouraged at everything. I wanted to do every subject because I've had teachers that were interested enough to make it yeah. good. So anyway, um, we set up a school newspaper um, and it was kind of a tabloid paper and our first front page was something to do with the art teacher, Mr Cowie, who I found out was one of the original members of Wet, Wet, Wet. Fuck off. Aye. Right, so, mate, I am the biggest Wet, Wet, Wet aye, so he was, he, I, I can't remember the de- His name was Mr Cowie. Fuck me. And he, he always had a brilliant guitar sitting and he was an art teacher. And um, I remember he once performed at a school show and everyone was like, 
God, he's talented. <laughs> but um, that was our story, <laughs> yeah. right? So that was our story. And then I remember thinking, this is quite interesting. And we sold loads of copies of the school newspaper. And then we started to do a thing called Teacher Watch. So have you seen your teacher pitched in the pub? <laughs> and um, I remember thinking, this is causing quite a bit of mischief. It was good fun. And um, DC Thompson's in Dundee had heard about it. And I got a letter from a guy called Ron Ross saying, have you ever considered a career in journalism? It might be something to look at. And I sent him a letter saying, actually, yeah, I've really found a, something I'm quite keen on. Yeah. And I had a teacher called Mrs. Pauler, who was like, you should think about being a journalist. I don't think she ever thought I'd be a sun journalist. Right? <laughs> I think she's horrified by that. But So um, I went to work at DC. I got a job. I got a job as a junior reporter. And I had the hardest interview of my life for that job. I was 18, went in. I had this guy called Sandy McGregor, right? And I'll tell you what my opening interview question was. There's a fire in a warehouse over the road. There's a million pounds worth of jute in the warehouse. Three firemen are dead and two are injured. You're in the phone box. The edition of the paper's going in 20 minutes. Recite the story now over the phone. Fucking Dictate it. I was 18. At 18. And I was just like, uh, three firemen are dead, two are injured in a warehouse fire in Dundee. You got the job, son. <laughs> and I was, so I did three months there and I loved it. I mean, I just learned so much. It was incredible, you know, so like covering all sorts of stuff in Dundee yeah. from a fishing competition in Broughty Ferry to a car crash to a little, you know, a bit of court reporting or whatever it was, which I couldn't do, but I was out of my depth, learned so much. Yeah. And I had these brilliant colleagues who had just come out of university. So there was a girl called Jane Smirnitsky, a guy called Derek Brown. And Derek eventually ended up working for The Sun, and that was the connection, right? Right. So um, I left, went to university, studied journalism, and became a nightclub promoter, <laughs> and ran Scotland's biggest student night. Yeah, I've heard about that. Aye, which film, was our friend Phil McHugh was aye, talking about that, aye, that aye. night. It was mad, like two and a half thousand students every Wednesday night, and we were all over. It was amazing. So I made good yeah. money at that, bought a flat, which was great. Class. And then um, got my degree by the skin of my teeth, and then chased the I'd met Kate. I went to school with Kate Leishman, right? Right. And then I chased her down to London because she was at performing arts school and uh, couldn't get a job in London in newspapers, didn't care anybody. It was, it was a tough year, so I ended up working for Curver Coaching, Dutch coaching company, and uh, did that for a year. Broke my leg, was in a stooky, miserable, signing on, couldn't earn money. And a pal of mine from uni said, look, you, are, you, could, you could be a really good reporter, come and work for us at this press agency in Edinburgh called Deadline Scotland. So I worked there for a year. And MTV Europe came to Edinburgh, right? Remember that? You thought you'd be too young, maybe. 2002? I remember it. You'd been 10. You know where it happened, aye. Vin, D- Vin Diesel and Kylie Minogue and Justin Timberlake. Did Vin Diesel like, know where I killed? He did, aye. A leather right. kilt. So um, <clears throat> that was kind of my big break because I got all... I met Derek, the guy from Dundee, who was at The Sun working on the Bazaar column for Dominic right, okay. Mohan. And I got them all in all these different nightclubs and Timberlake and Kylie were there. Amazing. Something happened that made the paper oh. and they were like, come down to London, you can have a job. And it was, that was it. I did, I did three weeks on shifts at the Sun and it went really, really well. And they said, look, we've not got a job at the moment, but you should go and work on the showbiz column at the News of the World, which is quite controversial. Oh, I, so I did three months there working for Rav Singh. Yeah. And then a job came up at Bazaar and I got it, I was 23. And by the time I was 25, I was deputy editor with the showbiz stuff and then I got the column when I was 26 Did that, that was 6 years 2006 to 2013 and then became editor of the Scottish Sun you're such a perfect example of how you know you, you've said you were signing on a lot of people would admit that uh-huh. um, you know that your current situation doesn't define either who you are or where you're going yeah. you know, it's just a, it could be a speed bump or whatever it's uh, it's amazing to hear that as somebody myself you know trying to push ahead and the entertainment industry, you know, actually, yeah. I'm going to be, I think I've been very, um, 
flip, sort of flipping and yeah. blasé and almost like no no not me but do you know what that's what I'm after it's amazing to hear that yeah, you know what there's, there's a two I've glossed over it a little bit but there are there sort of two really important moments in my life I was 19 and I was playing football for the university and I broke my leg really badly it was the morning after Henrik Larson broke his leg right no way. we're sitting in the dressing room before the game and the lads are like did you see Larson's leg last night and we're like oh it was horrible it was horrible Half an hour later, I'm in the back of an ambulance looking at the yeah. bone sticking at the inside of my leg. That's funny. I was... And it was brutal, man. Honestly, it was eight screws, metal plate, the whole works. Didn't they kick a ball for a year? And then that, and at that time, I was just in the cusp of like going back out with Kate because we went out of school. And for whatever reason, I didn't get down to London to see her, right? And she ended up going out with an Italian lad. And it's weird because we ended up having like two years apart, which was the best thing ever. So you can go away and have your fun and, you know, she had other boyfriends and stuff. Uh-huh. And then I bumped into her when she was back for her summer holidays. And it was like, this is it. Mm-hmm. I, never, I never thought I'd get married. Bumped into her and that was it. You know, we married 16 years, two kids and all that. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. And that break of my leg was this mad turning point in my life. And then I broke it again. And when I was on the dole, and that, that's why I ended up on the dole. Right. And I, I'll never forget it. Like I was sitting in a wheelchair with the same leg broken again, and I, I, I was so skint. There was a day where Kate didn't have enough money to buy food, and we were too embarrassed to ask our mums and dads for money. It was horrendous, absolutely horrendous. And Jim, like, is a successful guy. My mum and dad were, were really helping us out financially. But you've seen yourself, even one day in London... Yeah, the money evaporates, right? Oh, Christ. It evaporates. Aye. And I was like, how do I go back and ask for even more money to help us out? Uh-huh. 20, 22 years old. I shouldn't be asking my mum and dad for handouts. Yeah. And sure enough, like within two years, not a problem. We were set up. And I remember having that fire. It's like, I'm, you know, I'm going to be in a position where I'm going to be, make sure my family can be secure and not have to worry about stuff, not have to worry about money. So, you know, you, you have to make decisions in your life, you know, about ethics, right? About who you work for and all the rest of it. But at the same time, you want to provide and give your family a good life. And that was the balance I had to sort of manage in my career. Mm. You've, you've you seem to have, you've struck that balance well. It's a it's an interesting thing as well because people only see now hanging about with No Gallagher, Martin Compton, and all these things. Everybody wanting to talk to you in the group show, but you don't see what what sort of preceded that. It's a good it's a good. Um, I suppose a good tale for anyone, no matter where you are in life or what you want to be looking yeah. for and achieving. Um, the no thing cracks me up though. So when your friends are no, <clears throat> it basically involves him being pretty horrible to you. I <laughs> just batters you. He you know? sends some harsh text, doesn't he? Oh, he's very much brutal. old man yells at clouds. Like he's just <laughs> angry about stuff. You've uh, you've met a lot of people. You know, we talked yesterday, and you were saying that when you left Bizarre, you left the sun that a lot of friends and acquaintances sort of just fell out of contact because you could, you are no yeah. longer sort of helping them. But you have made good friends out yet. Who are the, you know, the, the, the good pals you've met? Are the good characters that you've yeah. met throughout your time in that sort of role? We talked about this last night, but you won't remember. Um. Right. <laughs> Editing the last two hours is a pure amnesia. I can't remember anything. Um, there's this brilliant quote Harold McMillan said, nothing rolls up as quickly as the red carpet, oh, right? Yes. So when I left that job... There you have it, sorry. It's, it's He's good. quoting Tories, so there you go. That's he also it. said, the jaw jaw, not war war, <laughs> which is one of the best quotes ever. But um, <clears throat> that's so so true, right? The minute yeah. you're not useful to people, they'll just fuck you off and not yeah. think twice about it. And you get you get sucked into it thinking, oh, they're my friend, they're my friend. They're not... Nah. And um, there was a great, it's a great barometer of who your true friends are when you leave that job. And um, I, I don't know if you know, I wrote Vinnie Jones' book. 
I did not know that. So Vinny's biographer, right? So I get asked for book recommendations, and a lot of people said Vinny Jones's book oh, is imagine, brilliant. Yeah, right? yeah, six, like a lot of people said, yeah, get it. A bit. Six years ago, we wrote that together, and Vinny, Vinny's when we wrote that book, he was uh, he kicked drinking, right? So I went through the process where he gave up boozing, and he he's, he's been he's been dry for six years now, hasn't had a drink, right? And he said a brilliant thing to me about friendship. He said your car breaks down at the side of the motorway three o'clock in the morning in the pissing rain. You could probably count on the fingers of one hand who would come and help you. Yeah, and you know who those people are, and yeah. they are the ones that care. They're the ones that matter. Yeah. I, I do. Yeah, I did know that he had wrote his book because you told me. Because we chatted, you played in his football team in LA, I, didn't you? Oh, that was so funny, right? So uh, I made my debut for the Hollywood All Star, right? <laughs> incompetent in LA, and he's driving me down, and he said, he calls me, he's like sweaty, right? Listen to this, right? Don't get in a fucking fight. Right, because these Mexicans they'll fucking kill you, and I'm like, all right, Vinny, no problem. I got booked in two minutes for taking out this Mexican guy with face tattoos. Right, the teardrop me, and the guys, the guys grab me by the throat, and I've got him by the collar. And I'm like, and Vinny's like, fucking sweaty, what are you doing? Right, next thing, um, they gave, they gave away a penalty, and Vinny's like, you take it, Gordon. I was like, no problem, absolutely no problem. Stride up, and I fucking ballooned it into orbit, like oh, honestly. No. It wasn't, he, honestly, I leathered it over the bar. And I just looked across in my first five minutes, missed the penalty, got booked, started a fight with a Mexican. <laughs> and he was like, remind me never to fucking play you again. <laughs> what a performance. But then he was, he was still playing at the time, just knocking it about. He's a cracking player. Aye. And it's one of the mad things that sticks out from his book. You know, when he played for Leeds, he never got booked. Really? Never got booked. Because he was playing in such a good team. He didn't need to fight. Aye, you know, you do that. Because like the crazy guy in Wimbledon, they were just a, ga- they were a gang, weren't they? I mean, the stories about that were amazing and I'll, I'll, look, there's a site again judging books by its cover right Vinny is a double triple hard bastard right yeah. um, and he's you know he's an intimidating boy where he needs to be but he's one of the most generous kindest people I've ever met he is unbelievable and his house in LA is like this I don't know this he's like the gatehouse for any British talent that goes to America yeah. like Jason Statham he put him up for a year Did they, eh? him and Kelly Brook for a year oh, rent free to get him his start you know, and then he signed his deal for the, the trans, uh, what was it called? The transporter. Transporter, right. So, like, Vinny's does all this stuff, and I, I think it's important for me to say, to, for people to know that he is, a, like, the British Heart Foundation, right? His wife just passed away a couple of weeks That's ago. devastating. And she was the longest living heart transplant patient in the world. Wow. Amazing. Fuck me. And Tanya, I mean, God, she put up a lot with Vinny, but, you know, they were, they were amazing together. And it's, you know, he's, there's some ridiculous statistic about how many lives Vinny saved as a result of that staying alive British Heart Foundation thing. He's an amazing boy, a great guy. You'd love oh, him, man. I'd love to meet Vinny Jones. And uh, I feel like it's not out with the realms of possibility to say that we'll be getting a night out at some point. Well, I, I'm, I'll, I'll send them your way because I'd like to help you with this, Sean. Get get some guests for your podcast. Aye, right? well, man, you've, you've you've certainly been a tremendous help so far. With advice, right. constantly checking in. Uh, encouragement, you know everything. I, I I do owe you a lot, and I'll say that to people listening right. that when uh, when I am part of the A list, I owe <laughs> I owe everything to Gordon Smart. Good man, good um, as long as you remember. And you know what, like you're going to do well with this, Sean. Right, you keep grafting away at it. You know, right, plug away. I don't get too big for your boots, otherwise I will fucking bring you down. <laughs> I've got, I'm, I'm, so, I'm, that's the one thing I'm most blessed with. <laughs> so many people that will keep me feet on the ground because yeah. I wouldn't be allowed it otherwise. How would you get away with posting pictures of your fucking six pack, right? Oh, if right. I posted a picture of myself with my tap off, it would be like relentless abuse. <laughs> I, get, I get relentless abuse as well. Right. 
I get relentless. I can't deal with this with a young team. Like, you know, it's like, I can't post anything without getting stick. I mean, no matter what. Even my mum gave me a slagging. Um, but I, I, I also don't give a shit. As we spoke about last night, I love, I will openly admit to and, and tell anyone who listen how much I love Westlife, ABBA, George Michael, like, yeah. and Deacon Blue. I don't give a fuck. It's that's an eclectic taste, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, an eclectic taste. But that's the thing. I think with somebody's music taste, if it's diverse and, you know, all-encompassing, then you can connect with anybody on anything. I find that entertaining about you, actually, because, like, last night, a couple of times, I was like, this is my friend Sean from Love Island. <laughs> <laughs> and you're laughing, and then you'd speak three languages to them, and they're like, oh, actually, I was just going to see you as a wee polished class Aye, region. Aye, thing, because we spoke to Rosita, the manager of the Groucho. Aye. Um, and she, I spoke Italian to her, and Aye. everybody was like, what the fuck is going on here? I know. Aye. She nearly... Passed it. I sorted a few free rounds. I think so anyway. She couldn't believe it. They took you into their hearts, didn't they? They did. I know. wonder how long it's been before you get banned. Because <laughs> will they last longer than Compton? <laughs> <laughs> Only one way to find out. Yeah, like, you'll be down here soon enough, laddie. I see. I would say so. I would say it is. Um, it is inevitable and pending. Yeah. That I will be spending the majority of my time here. Good man. I'll London. send you back up the road with a, a one pack <laughs> <laughs> and just loads of regret. <laughs> Sounds like my ideal night out. That's the thing that, you know, it's like when I was in newspapers at the beginning, it was frowned upon to be healthy, right? My first day in newspapers in London, a boy called Sean Hoare poured me a full glass of Tia Maria, then took me to the pub. And by lunchtime on a Tuesday, I'd had two pints of lager, a whiskey and a Tia Maria. Oh, yeah. Aye. And I was like, I don't know if I can cope with this. Was that like the Fleet Street days? Oh, that was. That was Fortress Whopping, yeah. Where is the sun's in the shard now? Uh, it's called the, it's the news building next to the Shard. Right, okay. It was like Talk Sport, Harper Collins, the Sunday Times, the right. Times, all of that. Yeah, London is where it's happening, and it, it reminds me. As I was flying in yesterday, and I was looking over the Thames, mm-hmm. and I was just like, you, you get this immediate sort of realization that this is the capital yeah. city of well of the UK, and it, but it's the capital city of England. But also, I would say the capital city of the world. I would even put it ahead in New York. It's just, it's yeah. here, is, it's the hub of everything. It re- makes me realise nobody loves Glasgow and Scotland more than me. Yeah. Um, and that will never change. But it did make me go, let's be honest, industry wise, like, and it just everything wise, like, Glasgow's a wee, it's a wee village. Yeah. In that sense, like, London is massive. I mean, how, how do you stop that chewing you up? And it's a s- funny one you say that because I can see your excitement and your enthusiasm for it. And yeah. I was telling you this, like, Airports no longer feel like holidays to me. <laughs> they used to be that smell of suntan lotion and maybe a wee bit of a, a, a lager and a fag that you could just pick up from folk going on the holidays, right? But now it's just work. So when I arrive in London, I've come back from Perthshire up in the hills and uh, I get on the Bakerloo line sweating, angry, oh. people elbowing you, being rude, like bumping old women out the road and not helping folk with the prams and all. And I think, I oh, fucking hate this. And then... Have a night like last night, you and me. What a crack we had. Oh, it's brilliant. Oh, yeah, we meet yeah. interesting people, you go out, you have a laugh. And then like we've had a great week at work, right? An amazing week at work. I feel like I've earned my money. Yeah. And then I go back and I get the best of Scotland for the weekend. Yeah. But you know, it's it, London is an incredible place. It's what you make of it. It's like any city. Like Glasgow, I had three years there. And it, you know, it's got a, a really mixed memories for me, right? Um, because so much happened when I was there. Like really, really upset and stuff. Like a tough time, really tough time, but also amazingly exciting. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Glasgow has this place for me, and also being chased out of Parkhead and Ibrox for the last <laughs> 20 years of my long neck sweater. Um, <laughs> so, I've got like a, a feeling for Glasgow, and I think that's the thing you've not a love about you as well, is you've travelled, right? So, yeah. and we, I keep talking to you about this Goodwill hunting quote, 
you know, when um, yeah. Matt Damon's having his fight with Robin Williams, and Robin Williams says, you can read any book in the world and tell me all about stuff, but you don't know what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You know what it's like to order a drink in the Ramblas, right? You know what it's like to get on a flight and go to Rio de Janeiro uh, and work your way down to the Copacabana and, you know, be able to speak to random punters over the universal language of football, right? Yeah. You've done it. Uh, I've done that. I've been sent off to Germany to try and nick Robbie Williams' book. Right? <laughs> then he speak the language. I've got a hire car. I'm 23 years old. Don't know what the fuck I'm doing, right? Uh, you have to survive. And you can only survive by virtue of the fact that you are a character from Glasgow. Uh, right? It carries you far. It does. It does carry you far. And it carries you to some weird and wonderful situations. Uh, I think which we found ourselves in last night. Yes, I think one <laughs> thing I've learned as well is that people appreciate and enjoy like a certain roguishness. And again, as you say, I don't care if you're George Clooney or the Janney. Aye. I'm treating you the exact same, and I've kind of, I think I naturally have that as well. Like, I don't give a fuck who you are, mate. Like, let's just Aye. let's have a chat. Are we getting on it? It's like, a great way to live your life, you know. And you should have your own personal values, right? And the things that are important to you, and you stay. You've got to stay true to those things, right? Yeah. So for me, it's family, right? That comes first above everything. It's you have to put them first, and every time you fuck that up a wee bit, like you just maybe put yourself ahead of your wife and your kids. Things go wrong, so you yeah. need to remind yourself to stick by that. Family and friends, right. those close friends, are the things that ground you. It's so funny as well. We we're talking to your friends back up the road. Are very much a normal bunch, quote unquote, a normal bunch. Oh, you right. know, every day, and I think it, it says a lot about you that you're mixing with, you know, fucking the real A list. Right. But your group of friends, core friends, has remained has remained the same. See, I heard a really interesting thing the other day. It was at a, a really wanky festival in London called House Festival. Right. And uh, where they serve lobster burgers and shit. Oh, Honestly, it's like Coachella times 400. <laughs> they're filing their fucking tax returns while they're watching some pish band. But I was sitting with a guy who I, I, I'd love you to meet him. And again, another guest of the podcast, a guy called Martin Bayfield. Now, Martin Bayfield was uh, an England second row rugby player, British Lion, but he was a copper. Right, he was a policeman. Oh, right. And Martin Bayfield also is half German, which makes me laugh because all the English are like, Martin Bayfield, are he's German. He's <laughs> right. one of our own, old chap. But he is a fascinating guy. Like He is also Hagrid in Harry Potter, not uh, Billy... Um, oh, come on, help me out. Robbie Coltrane. Not Robbie Coltrane. He's, the, he's actually the six-foot-ten giant that plays Aye, Hagrid, right? Hell, seriously. So he's, but he's a fascinating guy. And if you go to any sort of black tie dinner in London, there's a good chance he's going to be the host, right? He's an amazing sort of compere, right. master of ceremony. And I was sitting down with him, and he's such a great storyteller. He has got some of the best stories I've ever heard. And he said to me, he said, you know, I often get asked, you know, who would be your dream dinner guests? You know, who, of all the interesting sportsmen and leaders of business and politicians and celebrities, who would you like around your table? And he'd be like, my best friend, I'd like to have my dad. He said, they are the most, they are the celebrities in your yeah. life, right? And the minute you get wrapped up in this, again, this showbiz bullshit, right? And it is nonsense. It's not a healthy place to be because the most important people are your true, true friends. Those aye. five people at the side of the motorway, I'm telling you. Those people, aye. aye. Um, I always say, so I, I grew up without a dad. I grew up just me and my mum. My mum had me young. She worked multiple jobs, went to uni, we moved to England, and so I lacked that, but it's never felt alien to me. It's never felt strange. It's, it, it, in fact, feels very normal. And uh, from that, so my grandpa... And my uncles have been the massive thing made in my life. And I always say to my grandpa, I tell my uncle Paul, he's my hero and he's Aye. everything I wish I could be. Aye. I just, no matter who I meet, who I encounter, what cool stuff I do, what cool places I go, 
pals I make, I'm like, he's just my hero, yeah. and so is my grandpa as well. I, I always write in my grandpa's birthday card every year. If I could choose to go, every year, for years, I said, if I could choose to go for a pint with anybody living or dead, I'd choose you every time. Oh, amazing. I mean, I could fucking burst into tears. Oh, I could just like about, and, and that, that's, that's, I, you yeah. saying that about those people, those yeah. close people, it, it means Sean, I'd give, everything. I'd give anything to go for a pint with my mum's dad, right? Because right. he died just before I got to the... One of the last things he did was buy my brother six tins of tenants, I think. When he was at university <laughs> in 1995, whatever it was. And he was a real character, like a storyteller. Yeah. You know, he was always smartly dressed, brilliant dancer, you know... Probably treated my gran quite badly, to be honest, right? But was a man's man, great company. Mm -hmm. And then my other granddad, right, was this soldier that fought in the Second World War from 39 to 45, and I've traced his military history, and it's incredible. And his pay packet got sent back to my gran every single time he got it, and they bought the newsagent. So he put his family, he had two kids when he was in the Second World War, came back, and it was all for them. My dad sacrificed... I remember my pal saying, your dad never goes out for a drink. And I'm like, no, because... I can't believe how much he's given for other people, right? Yeah. His entire life is about everyone else other than him. He asks for... I can't... I don't know what to get him for his birthday and his Christmas because it's everything's about caring for other people, about being a doctor, helping folk, yeah. looking out for his sons, like, you know, making sure we're all okay. And how do you ever repay that? How do you ever say thanks for that? And I think the biggest thing I can do for him is play that role for my kids yeah. and I think that's what he gets a kick out of and he's had to rescue me for some ridiculous situations like I remember getting in a fight on a bus <laughs> after a hips game and um, the bus driver kicked me off the bus with a group of lads at the fourth road bridge and I'd intervened because they were picking on I can't even remember who they supported it must have been Dundee or something and they were picking on this poor guy in the bus and I stuck up for him and anyway, the next thing this massive rammy and my dad drove from Kinross to the fourth bridge in about six minutes I was like right get in the car fucking hell rescue me and I remember thinking Sorry, Dad, like, you know, you, you shouldn't really be bringing this to your door. <laughs> and he's like, the, the amount of times he's picked up the pieces from my big brother, right, this incredibly intelligent, capable guy who's just fucking no common sense at all. <laughs> and it, 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 it's remarkable, you know, and it, I don't know, you're right, like, how can you ever thank your granddad? How can you ever thank your uncle for that? By doing well, right? Yeah, Make them mate, proud. exactly, exactly, exactly yeah. that, exactly that. See, when you were saying that, how can I repay him? And I was thinking, by doing well, and he's given you that platform, he's given so much, so you should go and make the most of that. Aye. That's how, I mean, that and sending him on holidays and I'd like Aye. to pay off our mortgage and all that kind of well, thing. Well, there's your ambition, right? That's, That's what you, it. Write it down. I remember reading a great interview with Jim Carrey, or Jim Carrey, whatever you want to call him, that guy. And he wrote himself a letter. And he said, I'm going to open that in five years' time. And he reopened the letter and it was, you're going to be the first comedian to be paid $10 million yeah. for a film role or whatever it was. And he did it. And then you've got to do that. You know, set, set your targets and aim high. But my, my dad, he really made me laugh once. He said, um, when my wee brother, so there's three of us, I'm the middle brother, right? And he went, well, the eldest one's a dentist. The middle one is a tabloid journalist for the son. The youngest one. When's he going to be announced as a murderer? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like because you know you worry about people's perception because my mum and dad are just these amazingly given people. You know, my mum is a teacher. Folks still come up to me going, "Oh, your mum was my favourite teacher." It makes me so proud, you know. Yeah. And I'm thinking, "Oh, folk must have got up to my mum and go, see your son's in trouble again, for <laughs> getting sued off Simon Cowell, or you know." You mentioned there about getting into a fight on a bus, Aye. and you're thinking, "So I'm going to just say it, so that you kind of tell me I'm not allowed to say it. I won't name him because uh, I want to talk about Ramies as well and getting right, on the wrong side of people. So you're, at, I believe, Tina Park, and there was a certain um, very 
well-known singer who offered right. you a square go and you took him up in his offer and he shot you so he did, huh? uh, I'm not going to name him but it, lim- it rhymes with Shmiam Shmalaha shot it probably helped that one of my friends from home beside me who is double triple hard <laughs> but you know and, and that's that's again it's the Scottish thing people's bark is often worse than their bite yes. you know that from growing up in Glasgow Aye. right sometimes if you just front it up I mean, by the way, your arsehole goes quite a lot of the time when you do that, but yeah. you have to stand you your ground. You need to and, um, back yourself. I'm, you know, I remember my first day at the paper, there was a guy there called... Uh, <laughs> should I say this? See it. If, you need, if we need to, I can bleep his name out, but you can tell me it for this purpose, and then yeah. you can laterally decide if you want to include it or not. Yeah, right, we'll bleep his name, right? So I worked with this guy called... And, he, a bell. and the guy said to me, he said... I got introduced to him and he went, not another fucking jock in London. Oh, you fuck, you fucking outside cunt. And then somebody took me aside and said, next time he tries to bully you, stand up. Aye. And I was like, what do you mean? Just stand up. He was about five foot five. So I stood tall, I'm like 5'11". And I remember just standing up and he thought, oh, well, he's actually going to stand up to me. And, uh, and there was a guy I worked with from Paisley called Toddy. And fucking, it was one of my favourite moments in newspapers. They were making some cutbacks, right? It was a hard time. And um, there was a wee bit of trouble in the office about it. And Toddy had liked to drink. He's from Paisley. He was an ex-para. <laughs> I loved Toddy. We were like really good pals. And uh, this guy had been out um, to some like function on behalf of the son where he'd been drinking posh champagne and ca- on the caviar and the lobster and all the rest of it. Came Chaps, just been at Lord's. Wonderful spread. Unbelievable, you know. We were on this and we were on that and we were on that. And all I heard from the other side of the room was, How are you? <laughs> And uh, this guy's like, I'm sorry, what was that, Phil? And Toddy's like, you got a fucking twin. <laughs> and he's like, sorry, but I beg your pardon, Toddy, what was that? He said, i ask you again, have you got a fucking twin? <laughs> and he's like, uh, I don't believe I do have a twin, and I don't believe I do. And he went, well, I'm sure there was some cunt that looks just like you the other day telling us this company has got no fucking money. Let me ask you one more time. <laughs> have you got a fucking twin? <laughs> It's like yes. the most beautiful Paisley moment. <laughs> Class. And, I was, and like, fair, like, there was a day as well, I was in the pub, and um, a guy punched me in the face for being the jock from the sun, right? No so way. Fucking Millwall fan. Bang. Wallet punches me. Fuck's sake. And I, my, my mouth's bleeding. And I'm like, what the fuck's that for? And I fronted it up, and I'm like, there's five, five of them, me. And I, he went, you fucking cunt, you Scottish cunt. He said, you, f- you, you fucking, we're paying for your family's prescriptions, your fucking junkie family up in Scotland. We're Danny at Grafton paying for your fucking oh. family. And I was like, I beg your fucking pardon. He went, you jock cunt. He said, we're paying for your family all on the dole in Scotland. And I just said to him, well, you don't mind when we're spilling our fucking blood for you in Iraq. Aye. Fuck off. Announce independence. Right? So I've, I've walked past them and I'm like, shit, I'm going to hide in here. And Toddy's at the bar. <laughs> and I've walked across and Toddy's like, you all right? I'm like, oh, Toddy, man, fucking just been punched in the face. These guys not get chopped it. So I've got, oh, Toddy, I've just been punched in the face for being Scottish. I said, there's quite a few of them around there. And as I started telling him, I could see him taking his watch off. <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing, Toddy? He went, which one? <laughs> I was like, Toddy, Toddy, listen, we can't get involved in this. And he went, which one? <laughs> next, what a legend. The next thing I hear this fucking crash, bang, wallop, fucking chairs flying, all the rest of it. Toddy comes back and went, that won't be a problem again. <laughs> what a legend. And it was so funny because I had to do an interview in Talksport about five minutes later, right? And I was being, I, I'm doing this interview about something and I'm out of breath because I'm like, it's going to kick off, it's going to kick off on the phone, like, trying to keep the shit, keep it together, like, you know. That's just reminded me of a wee story. I was telling it in a, in a 
the podcast when I was talking about why I moved to Barcelona mm. and I talked about when I worked in a shitty job and uh, it, it was just a shitty sales job and uh, I would do anything but work Aye. and I had to be on the phone though I, I would phone taxi companies in Glasgow and pretend to be an old man who can hear them right <laughs> <laughs> I would love that story I'd basically be like hello one taxi please and they'd be like okay yeah where are you going and I'd say Asda alright yeah so where are you my house <laughs> <laughs> okay, where's your house? It's next door to John and Isabel's house. So I do that. I'd wind them up, I'd bam them up. These things. And another thing I did is I would. F- it was pre-independence um, referendum. Right. And I'd phone my family and phone my pals and pretend to be a researcher on behalf of YouGov. <laughs> and, uh, you I, really were bored, weren't you? Oh, mate, severely. Um, I stole a fucking wage in that place, and uh, I would <laughs> phone them and pretend. And I'd, I'd call them. Like, Hello there, my name is Robert and I'm calling on behalf of YouGov. Um, we're doing an independent poll. It's non, it's like very impartial, blah, blah, blah. May I speak to you for a couple of minutes just to ask a couple of questions um, about the upcoming referendum? Uh-huh. So I'd start off with, um, so uh, did, would you divulge how you intend to vote in the upcoming referendum? <laughs> and they'd be like, um, yes, yes, I would be. And I'd be like, okay, um, wh- which way are you intending to vote? And um, so they'd be like, I'm intending to vote yes. And I'd be like, okay. And I'd ask them, run in a mail questions, get them chatting, I'd be like, and then, and then so I'd go like, <laughs> oh, yeah, getting cool. getting, we're getting booted out in a minute, uh, I kind of see what that says, but we'll, we'll round up, so I'd be like, we'd kind of chat, and um, I, I would then go, <laughs> interesting, and they'd be like, so they'd always fucking take the nip straight away, oh, what do you mean interesting, I'm like, oh, I just, you know, I've got my opinions, obviously, oh, yes, so I, like, go. So, so I'm like, what do you mean you've got your opinions, and I'm like, well, I mean, can I chat frankly? Can I be open in my thoughts on this? And they're like, yes, okay, I'm interested enough to... I just... I don't know how you're going to fund it, obviously, with your dependence oh. on, on, on English money for the for the, the, the methadone and stuff. <laughs> and they're straight away, they're like, what the fuck do you mean for the methadone? Like, well, obviously, there's a lot of heroin addicts in Scotland and, yeah. you know, London's paying for it, you know? You, we, yeah. we pay for your methadone thing. Man, people screaming down the floor. Oh, you know, it's one thing that's such a special talent Scots have is the wind-up. Oh. Like, my happiest memories of the Scottish Sun were the boys in the sports department because they were always on a wind up, right? There's a boy, Derek McGregor there. You've probably read his stuff. Yeah, he used to write yeah. a lot about Celtic. And D.I., right, he used to come in every day with a tin of soup, right? So they would take the label off his soup and replace the tin, right? Oh, so man. then they put the label back on. And then he comes through from the kitchen going, boys, unbelievable. I've got peaches. I thought it was scotch broth. It's peaches. <laughs> and then two days later, he'd be like, Lads, I can't, pineapple chunks. Someone's gone <laughs> way wrong at Baxter's. Like, this is unbelievable. Like, day six, he's like, right, what are you fucking up to? Yeah, I, went, I went to a party in the Gorbals once with my pal Kerry, and we did that. We ripped all the labels off the tins. It was like a student flat. Brilliant. We ripped all the labels off the tins. We changed. They had a wee, um, a wee notice board, and it was like the three people, the three lassies that lived in the flat, and they had like dentist 1 pm, and we changed it like 2 pm. Yeah. <laughs> we like changed other appointments. That's dead. There was a story that happened with one of the boys in the office and it ended in big trouble. Like, there was, I'm just thinking about the wind-up merchants, Robert Grieve, Andy Devlin, Roger Hanna, who you might hear. I've met there. Roger Hanna, so, lovely guy. Roger is one of life's... He is full of wisdom, right? Yeah. He used to just say to me, Gordon, it's just another silly misunderstanding. I've met him at St Mirren Park at a press conference, great guy. There's another guy, Andy Swinburne there, who... I think it was Swinney that gave me this advice. There's another guy, Kenny McDonald, it was one of the two... And I remember saying, I can't handle this old form, carry on. And he went, Gordon, all you need to remember is just a case 
of cunts calling cunts cunts. <laughs> Brilliant. That end part one, Sean. That is the end of part one. That well, what a beautiful. T- tell you what, in sync. This is a future part radio partnership, by the way. Because I was going to say this is the end of part one. Thank you very much for joining us and for listening to this point. We are now going to check out a Soho house just around the uh, no Soho house. Uh, Soho Radio. Soho Radio, sorry. Uh, right corner of Carnaby Street to let you know where we are. We are on the way to the Radio X studio via the boozer, I presume. Yeah, I hope. We'll, we'll have time for a pint. Yes. Um, and we're going to be recording part two in Gordon's country pile. Come up to the house. Yes. Um, a very different experience from giving Dara a brain a, a, <laughs> a headlock. But I tell you what, he'll never get mm. fucking wide again. Exactly. <laughs> he didn't even get wide. He was very nice. Um, yeah, so we're going to round up here. Uh, we'll be recording part two where we're going to be talking about Gordon's mad night suit with his mate Noel Gallagher. Oh um, there's going to be encounters with Roman Abramovich, Love London gangsters, and more. So <laughs> please do join us. Louis Capaldi as well. How about that? Yes. It's fucking mental, that, isn't it? What a boy. Yep. You're going to send him a text. Mate, we'll make it happen. I'm going to be your agent, I'm going to. You're going to be. You're going to be the new fucking Compton in my life. I'm going to be the new Gordon Smart. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to do that. Learning yeah. for the best. You can have the debt. Cheers, lads. Catches on the flip side. Happy days. Dude. Tame Impala, have you paid the PRS on that Shawnee boy? Mm, no comment. Yeah.